Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hello! That is correct. We changed our schedule around so we could have more hosts, and our first new episode <laughs> is just me and Duncan, the two stalwarts, yeah. um, which is fine. Uh, we don't want Andy or Jeff's opinions polluting this podcast as we talk about the development, history, and cultural footprint of isekai anime. Mm. Uh, if you listen to this podcast and do not know what an isekai is, I admire you for your obliviousness. Isekai <laughs> took over the world about 10 years ago, and we're just living in it now. Honestly, in uh, like a hundred years time, Ben, someone's going to, a cultural historian will dig up our podcast and they'll go, this this, this was a contemporary account of the rise of isekai. Um <laughs> It's a primary source. We consider keyframes one of the seminal documents of uh, this. <laughs> yes, we're so we're so uh, careful and well well studied uh, that I'm sure that will be essential. There'll be a great dissertation if academia <laughs> exists in a hundred years of Western perspectives on on <laughs> Japanese animation genre consolidation, 2015 to 2022. So um, I am not a huge isekai fan because it ate one of my favorite genres <laughs> and I'm probably not ever getting it back. I like regular fantasy, regular Western fantasy, and now even like the most played straight Western fantasy and anime has to be presented in an isekai framework, but beggars can't be choosers. So I do watch a lot. Y'all will know that I watched uh, Ray Earth uh, this past uh, year and that I watched Escaflone. Uh, a couple years ago. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to go through, wanted to see where it came from, wanted to see what shows helped create this genre that became so big that publishers had to like ban story submissions yeah. <laughs> of isekai at certain points. And yeah, I don't know. Duncan, what's your relationship with isekai? And do you want to give us like a rough framework of the historical development as we kind of hashed it out before the podcast? I think like you, I have a sort of resentment towards it to eating traditional <laughs> fantasies. It's, I think, one of those cases where we are kind of living at the crest of a wave where <laughs> all we can do is sort of, of look around and ask ourselves, like, how how did we get here? What has is the route which has, has inevitably led us to this particular point? And trying to sit down and look at the early works, which I'm familiar with, like Escalflone, which we obviously talked about previously, and which mm -hmm. is, I think, along with Ray Earth, probably one of the two foundational works and i think when i we watched uh, escaflonia and talked about it i said it felt to me at that time like it was more a a branch which led nowhere and i've kind of revised that to uh, in fact this is a work which did something very important which though no one realized it at the time has actually led all the way down to where we find ourselves now with isekai just taking over the world and so that's that's forced me i say forced but I, you know me ben i, I like to cut contract oh yeah they really held you over a fire yeah. didn't they yeah. I, 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 I like to to create my and i like overly contrived frameworks for for talking about things and so i was obviously forced to uh, break down the five ages of isekai which is we have the birth which we've just outlined which is escaflone and andreas this is the first generation of shows which are very much the children of the genres which spawn them and we've got the the childhood which was like the, the time of like 
experimentation and playfulness where rules are far less set. We've got things like in Asha, 12 Kingdoms, now and then, here and there, dot hack, spirited way. This was the early 2000s. And then come the early 2010s, we've got when the genre reaches adulthood with Sword Art Online and Lock Horizon and how those works in particular really came to prominence because of things happening in the wider world. Media is always a result of a wider culture and with Isekai it was the prominence of MMOs and the 2008 uh, financial crash which Jeff was here because Jeff would enjoy, enjoy the collapse of consumerism <laughs> leading to Isekai. Um, but those were the, those two events, I think, are wrapped up in the appeal of the Isekai of that era. Then we get to the, the Middle Age, like where genre works become the, the primary thing, like where another world is a, no longer a place which we visit or are trapped in. It's a place where we are permanently. Mm-hmm. And then there's the present day the dotage of isekai <laughs> where we're, we're where we're just looking backwards where things like isekai quartet uh villainess spider so what and uncle from another world uh are there just looking back yeah it's come a long way <laughs> and we've come a long way even just since that escaflone episode which i think is in between 23 yeah although i talked a fair amount on regular episode 64 about escaflone when i was watching it right at the beginning of the pandemic and i that was mm. such a gift But I do agree that it's a question as a historian that you often have to answer of, is there a genealogical connection between important works that are building towards a major cultural touchstone or genre? Or are all these all people having the same idea, which (laughs) means a, a more grassroots thing and they're popping up increasingly until one finally catches fire, which in this case is, yes, Sword Art Online is really the one that I think like makes it a genre. But I do think that you are you are right to say that Escaflone is more part of the mainstream of development uh, than we gave it credit for in the tween, because I do think that when you look at the movie, what you see is someone being like, well, what held Escaflone back was the genre or the demographic targeting. And that if we strip out all the shoujo stuff and make it a young boy power fantasy, or maybe a slightly older boy power fantasy uh, with sexiness, just possibly, then that will be that will be what's missing. And I do think it's interesting that Aura Battler uh, Dunbine, which is probably the first anime uh, to have any sort of isekai uh, focus in it, um, going to try to avoid hard and fast statements because I, there's no way I can know all the manga and novels that were written in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm working based on what I know and what I've read. That we do we do see that besides Aura Battler Dunbine and other weird sprout-offs, it's mostly a... I wouldn't even say shoujo or jose, but there is this idea that like it's about the internal experiences of people traveling to these other worlds and their desires to return. It's much more of an Urashima Taro sort of thing of like you've been spirited away to the spirit realm and you're trying to get back. And eventually, I think in the 90s, we get this conflation of the digital world with the spirit realm, and that's how these begin to, to merge. But it is interesting that it's these are these very unique cultural artifacts that kind of get paired away and remixed, and that's how each of the stages that you talked about has come into being mm. as people look at these shows that are successful but can't really spawn successors like Ray Earth, like Escaflone, even <laughs> like... Uh, now and there, here and then, or yeah. Inuyasha. Like, has anyone ever 
copied Inuyasha. Mm. Uh, it's kind of singular, as most Rumiko Takahashi stuff is. Which kind of but... speaks to her, her quality as a creator in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, Inuyasha kind of was the, the breakthrough for me, because in trying to actually look at these original works and, and figure out why is Escafloni important, and why are why is Ray Earth important, and how do they differ from these mecha shows? And, like, for me, the... the, the the end point to that was why is Inuyasha not feel like a time travel show to me? And the the answer I came up with was it fundamentally divorces cause and effect. Like think back to something like um, Back to the Future. That the whole plot mm-hmm. is going. You go back to change to do something which will change something now. And Inuyasha, not much she does actually affects the the current world. And that's actually the key to it. It's I think mm-hmm. with. Uh, things like uh, Escafoni. This is about, as you say, their shows which are really interested in like the resolution of internal conflicts. And that was something mm-hmm. which shows like uh, Evangelion were really trying to grapple with in the, the mid-90s. And the problem Evangelion had was there was such a dissonance between the show's concern with Shinji's internal conflict and the effect his um, internal conflict had on the world and choices he made. In order to resolve that, they basically had to make an entire movie. They had to make End of Evangelion because <laughs> his emotional conflict was was resolved in the final ep- couple of episodes of the the series. But people didn't see the actual resolution of the external conflict of of all the consequences of his decisions cascading out into the world. And so the way uh-huh. Escaflone and the way I assume, and you'll have to tell me whether this is true or not. Oh, um, we'll Earth, see about Rare Earth, yeah. <laughs> the way Escaflone at least seems to deal with that is you're in another world and nothing you do in this other world is going to affect your home. None of it's going to come back to you. And so she can go out there, she can fall in love with Van, she can have these this big fight with this huge empire and in the end, she just gets teleported back to her, her her own world like nothing happened. And so all her internal conflict is played out and you get these massive uh, fight, mech fights and you can just have that depend on her emotional thing and it, it doesn't actually reflect back on her world. Yeah, yeah. And it's even considered a, a pretty romantic like flourish that like she and Van admit their love for each other and then they're separated like on a cosmic level <laughs> they won't be able to see each other because it's because of this really weird phenomenon that that no one quite understands and the one man who probably did understand it sir isaac newton uh mm-hmm. is dead <laughs> so yeah there's there's a sense of interoperability that i think isekai part of the power fantasy is that you can't affect things and one of the interesting tra- traits of like the 12 kingdoms which i know i've only ever brought up to crap on um, and having rewatched a couple of episodes from the beginning for this podcast, I still don't like Yoko. I think she's in- infuriating. I think that the fact that they had to make up a character for the anime who wants to go to the other world um, just to like not gaslight the audience that like this is a show they want to be watching. <laughs> like I think it's uh, it's it's such a it's an ambitious but ultimately foolhardy choice. Uh, but the people in the uh, in the isekai are fully aware of the existence of China and Japan. They they know they exist there, and they know that people come from there, and it's like an, an understood quantity. But of course, the people in our world aren't 
aren't aware of the fantasy world because that would immediately yeah. i think break the isekai contract um that there is this there has to be this unknown world that you get to discover there's like a pioneer as problematic as that as, as that mental framework is there is like a pioneering of like you discover this world for everybody mm-hmm. who ha- hasn't come yet or doesn't know about it but it's definitely true yeah and 12 kingdoms also has this very much that she that yoko is is this girl who's just totally beaten down by the expectations of society and her character's development is slowly realizing that this like awful cramped version of herself that she's built to avoid annoying her parents or annoying her teacher or annoying her classmates because she has red hair and like any show in the 90s everyone assumes she's a delinquent because she has red hair even though she doesn't dye it and her main interaction with her parents is her parents being like are you going to go dye your hair people will think that you're a delinquent they'll think we're bad parents if you come to school with your natural hair color so that's a yeah it's, it's very rough and getting away from that i think is a big part of 12 kingdoms as much as escaflone having these problems of becoming a person and becoming an adult that you need to go to a fantasy world and work out an allegory much the same as in evangelion where shinji has to work out his stuff and i think ano was correct that we don't really need to see the giant robot fight but obviously that's why people are here i think that points <laughs> to where where isekai in general developed um but ray earth is, an, is a different example because they're mostly just they they're all just regular girls who happen to be at tokyo tower when they're summoned uh by the pillar of sephiro the fantasy world uh and it's about them learning to be friends and learning to trust each other. And it's something that like it's a emotional arc and a personal crisis that develops because of being taken to the other world. And then that's something that they take back um, when they return to our our reality um, is that they have they it, it was just a second um, in the real world. But there it was it was months of, of fighting and growing and learning to trust these people who are originally uh, quite unfamiliar and unfriendly with each other. And that's a very interesting development that kind of gets cut off because coming back from an isekai trip isn't something uh, that really happens in the genre anymore. Or if it does, it's yeah. something to be repeatedly lampshaded like an uncle from another world. But we'll, we'll talk more about Ray Earth. Don't worry, I've got so many opinions. <laughs> with Ray Earth, um, you've, you've spoken about mm-hmm. it a bit on the, the general cast and about how... Uh, the first season, oh, I'm not sure if it was first season or first arc, ends with essentially the princess who is dreaming the land as uh, being killed because she slowly becomes sort of, um, de- de- is it sort of delusional or? Um... The, um, the, the pillar of the fantasy world has to love everyone equally, otherwise it will distort reality. And she has fallen in love with her protector, the high priest, who we, who is presented as a bad guy. And then the twist, sorry, if you haven't watched Ray Earth in the past 30 years. Or heard you talk about it before. I kind of recommend it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have mixed feelings. Uh, but yeah, he's been presented as a bad guy, but it turns out that, that the princess is the bad guy. Um, and that her like last rational thought was summoning these, these uh, magic knights. And they discover that the sole purpose of the magic knight is to kill a princess or a pillar who has ceased to think only of her people which is wildly dark um and makes the second season kind of kind i mean like the idea that the only reason they can be summoned is to act as assassins against a god and that's like a fail safe if, if god starts playing favorites uh is a cool idea and i think it's well executed 
And then they bring them back and they're like, well, why are we back? There's not a pillar here. So like, how could we be summoned? And that's part of that show, like frantically retrofitting, uh, <laughs> frantically retrofitting classic young adult fantasy to like C tier space opera, um, where most of the plot takes place in a castle floating in, in like the middle of a void. Uh, and then other people come in in spaceships and try to claim to be the pillar. There's lots of stuff that happening that's happening. And I think that fundamentally why they changed the focus of the, from the first season to the second season is recognizing that like people want a more heroic arc. And so there are good parts of the three girls, the three magic knights um, dealing with the fact that they, they took this like enormously difficult and tragic job and performed it. And now they're in a world that is falling apart because of their actions, because with no pillar, uh, the world can't exist and spaceships come various racially charged caricatures uh from the planets yeah i i honestly like the the china the, all the characters from planet china but man like 90s era japanese anti-chinese xenophobia and racism is it's rough and my like girlfriend would leave the room she's like i can't stand like the shrill like oh ho ho like princess from from planet china but yeah even the genki girl planet full of like tanned slightly middle eastern stereotype women was yeesh but yeah so they all show up and it honestly it's, it it answered the issue that i had with the first season which is that this does not feel like a real world because there are like nine characters in it <laughs> and when you're traveling across the country and righting wrongs you don't want the entire population to be the three girls the guy who's telling them what to do, the vendor they buy their armor from, and the five bad guys they fight <laughs> over and over again. But that's what it is. So in the second season, as they are like really crudely just retrofitting uh, it to be this completely different genre, they they send in the people from other planets, and it's they bring back everybody except it turns out spoilers they're all like near identical brothers or sisters of the dead people. Cause like, yeah, dead people can't come back is some is a, a mid season reveal for that season. And it's just the characters kind of dealing with their guilt and the consequences of their actions, having been pressed into being assassins of a God. And meanwhile, Hikaru, the main girl is dealing uh, with a doppelganger who ends up being like the, the like mental creation of her own self-hatred, which there are some aspects about that. I like, I like that mm. she hates Hikaru. And so she loves Hikaru because Hikaru hates herself enough to create a mental manifestation of her self-hatred. It's kind of fine there, but it, it's a boring antagonist because they can't hurt her. Cause if they hurt her, they hurt Hikaru because they're the same person, blah, blah, blah. And eventually the show picks up once the budget like recovers after they had a month long hiatus in September, 1995. But overall it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't really hang together. They fix a lot that's wrong with it. They fix, they fix that the cast uh, is too small. They fix uh, that the, po the, the politics of the situation um, aren't really that interesting, but also they keep breaking up the main trio who the whole point of them going to another world, the whole point of their, of their journey as characters is that this hot, this like childish Genki girl, this, um, kind of cool and collected bookish girl and this haughty Ojo, um, they all, they all become friends. They become incredibly close friends in a very authentic way that I think speaks better than 
to reality than most friendships you see in anime. But then they break them up for the second season so that they can have, you know, one of them go to a ship and they talk with the, the mecha planet about their rune gods, which are supposed to be the most powerful things in existence, but they get their asses kicked constantly because they're sad and therefore they can't fight as well. It's just, it becomes a much messier show as it tries to address its own issues. And yeah, I don't know. I can't really recommend it. I think that the the third OP uh, is one of the best OPs ever made. Uh, maybe I'll link it in the show notes if it's not better like the, one of those one of those ones. Better than uh, better than Escaflone the Escaflone one. It's up. I think Oof. that all like almost High all price. fantasy. It's up there. It's really up there. It's up there with that and the the Lotus War one that I liked, even though I didn't <laughs> like the uh, the anime. I just really like fantasy OPs, and I think that. After that month-long delay, they come back with a new OP and a new ED, and you're like, okay, they really have some focus, and they chew through to a very satisfying finale, but the season's been so much mess. It's been 29 episodes um, that are mostly people talking in rooms or having fights in an empty void outside of a crumbling Uh castle floating in the middle, so it's just... They get they gave they they flesh out the setting with people, but they forgot geography, and if you're going to have an isekai, you need to have cool weird people to meet and cool weird places to go and and Ray Earth couldn't get both of them at once I almost said Escaflone how dare me Escaflone has plenty of cool people and plenty of weird places I mean one difference between those two and um, is that Escaf- like Escaflone like Evangelion the fights take place in places like um, yes. sounds like uh, Ray Earth is has far more in common with uh, Gundam where uh, the the void and and the <laughs> is basically a place where you take your robots to do uh, happy battles and uh, make flowery displays of missiles. Um, so mm-hmm. what I what I was uh, what you haven't haven't told me yet, Ben, uh, oh, no. is 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 exactly how they resolve these tensions. So, do they pick a new pillar? Um, so it turns out that of all the claimants, um, you get murdered instantly if you go into the throne room and are not a potential pillar. Um, and they don't really tell you what makes a pillar besides like low, low, a potential to love, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it's it's either Hikaru, uh, who, again, has made a like clone of her own self-hatred, uh, which does not bode well for the love, or the like guy who's in charge of the robot planet who's dying of a very stereotypical like magic anime sickness where he's fine. But he like coughs blood and says he's too weak to oh, do dear. stuff whenever the plot needs him to. Um, so anyway, he's dying um, and he ends up helping her go into the room. And he's like, just tell my planet about how this technology works because we're going to use it to save our planet. And she's like, yeah, sure. And so she becomes a pillar and then immediately abolishes the pillar system. And like everybody gets to like create the world mentally. And then she goes back the end. It's fine. You knew Hikaru was like the main character. Mm. It's a really weird choice to take a to take an strongly ensemble work and just be like, yeah, this one's the main character. But that's how a lot of I think corporate decisions work, and this is definitely a corporate decision to add another season to Rare. It does seem like a logical endpoint for it, where like one of the people responsible for the removal of of this this pillar takes responsibility and steps into the the, the void left by it. So. Yeah, and and, it, and also recognizes that it's a system that like is going to most people will not be able to handle loving everyone equally mm. until I mean until they until they like either I don't know if you die as a pillar but like if you live forever you have to love everyone equally forever and never form attachments and it's it, it's a broken system and 
at length, the show recognizes it and resolves it. But it took a long, long time to get there. A lot of, mm. lot of space battles, a lot of weird battles against the, the Middle Eastern planet who have magic genies that they project outside of their ship. And uh, Umi finds them disgusting to fight and just does like the, yeah, just all the time while she's fighting them. Oh, so that's a... That took a burden out of me, too. I'm being down on it. You can definitely see a refinement of what isekai are best at doing when you compare Rayearth in 93 to Escaflone in, in 96. And I do think that also having uh, Sunrise working on it instead of Clamp is also helps a bit, too. Again, moving past the more shoujo trappings of isekai, because traveling to a dream world, I guess, at some point was a very feminine coded thing to do i think um one of the things which uh, stood out to me about the the early works was this pr- predominance of uh, female protagonists like just as you were saying ask Flony ray earth uh, like uh, spirited away 12 kingdoms uh inuasha's like a, a co- co-lead so kagome yeah. uh, being co-lead with inuasha and but like a lot of the shows that that time, like it's unusual that, um, especially compared to how it's become in the modern era, where it is basically unknown for Bisekai to have a, a female protagonist, unless it's specifically to to play on a, a particular genre. Um, yeah, yeah, I was thinking that. Like, I've this this second flourishing of Bisekai on on the verge of mille- <laughs> the millennium, like. I've talked a bit previously about uh, Spirited Away and like how I saw that as a um, show which was using this spirit realm as as another world where someone could work out uh, the relationship between a individual identity and an identity within a system, be that family or a workplace, and like this idea of Sen and Chihiro and like having. You're, and subsuming mm-hmm. your identity to to something else like you go to this other world you become something else and uh by fulfilling what's expected of you um you s- slowly become more and more part of that world mm-hmm. and that having that space to figure out this sort of transition of of uh, inward facing being as a, a, I think I I mean I I I overplayed this sometimes like I I, I will sometimes say like I I think like as as char- children we are very inward facing we we tend to just be self absorbed and like I know children are capable of more than that but I do th- think think <laughs> um, like looking at myself I was as as a kid I was I had like far less self-awareness than i do as an adult and like i think um another world as this place where you can explore this boundary between um what you're doing for yourself and what you're doing for others i think that was a theme which spirited away was very interested in in Asha, which i've been watching recently is very different work and Part of me, I think realizing that it and Spirited Away were uh, literally within a year of each other was kind of shocking because it's like the. I think we forget now that the that the gap has closed. Just how big the gap between um, TV, an average serial TV and a, a Ghibli movie was uh, twenty years yeah. ago. Like because there was a. I mean that's why they had that's why they closed their studio because like any studio can now do Ghibli style animation with the right talent and mm. direction i think but yeah it's like yeah it's it's not a particularly uh beautiful or amazingly 
uh, animated show. Like it has moments, like moments of of, mm. of, of but it, oh, on the whole, it's like I think like there's the, the cliche of like the 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 overusing of panning shots and uh, chibi art and that sort of stuff. And it's it's true to an extent, but it's it's a def it is definitely earns the, the the idea of being limited animation. Um, and I think the in terms of looking at it in its place in uh, uh, isekai history, like I think it's interesting for how thin the boundaries between its two worlds are. Like I spoke mm -hmm. about the fact that it's technically sitting within time travel, and and that Agome is transported back in time uh, by a sacred jewel she's been born within her. Um, she, because she's the reincarnation of a powerful priestess from feudal Japan. And she's took back to the time of that uh, priestess where she meets Inuyasha, who is a half-demon who wants to duel for himself. And during an attack there from a demon, this duel is shattered and scattered throughout Japan. And sometimes it's interesting to consider, like, the decisions that a show doesn't take, because, like, it's so... It would have been so easy for it to say, okay, the jewel's been shattered. You can't return home. You've now got to go on a quest to find all the pieces of the jewel. But it doesn't do that. She can basically, as long as she possesses part of that jewel, she can just travel back and forth as much as she likes. She she stays there out of a combination of, of duty to prevent the harm caused by what she's brought to this world and sort of curiosity. It's... A choice she makes and i think that's a uh, choosing to to stay in this realm is is a an interesting thing and like this the fact that all she has to do is sort of pop down this well whenever she fancies visiting in the world or or returning home it's that that ease of transition is is unfamiliar especially in how it is is these days and it's i think that's interesting because the primary tension is like one which is growing but in between uh, her place in her the world she comes from with her this fam her family which she's loving and accepting and her place within society and this other world where she's sort of found freedom and and love it, it was it was interesting to see this 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 soft line and like how even that extends to things like uh, the bringing of technology into the world. Like she brings her her bike with her and and she she rides around feudal Japan on this this <laughs> this bike and, and no one gives a damn. It's it's not treated like, like this remarkable thing. It's just like okay, she's got a bike. Uh, or like that sounds that sounds super Rumiko Takahashi. I could see that being a joke in in Urusei Yatsura. <laughs> and and some, like one episode, a priest just steals it from her and rides off on it and it's like how did he even learn to ride a bike it's like, <laughs> like it, it took me a while to learn as a ride a bike and this guy seems to l learn way too fast and like there's there's episodes where she brings Inuasha back to the, the present and no one seems to take that as a particularly big deal is, uh, either you've brought a demon from ancient Japan back to deal with is something well fair enough it just seems like the right thing to do and like <laughs> Half demon, half ah, demon, yeah, yeah. please. Half demon, of course. <laughs> and I don't know. It's, it's. I think it's as as we we're saying. Like it's, it's still in this this part where we have a female lead in in Kogami, and Inuyasha is the love interest, and he is, he is such a typical Sunday. And it's 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 <laughs> so enjoyable to see that trope on a, a man instead of a, a woman. Uh, he he's he's kind of he's kind of jerkish and blunt, but he's he's he'll sort of get angry and then he'll blush. And and that's and it's it's 
it's it's so typical Sunday as far as the, the tropes are concerned it, it's it couldn't be couldn't be more so and it's it's very enjoyable to see that that trope used and it feeling like it fits perfectly it's not difficult to do, use that trope and yet it feels like for whatever reason like women are coded very strictly with anime but it the same tropes are very rarely applied to men yeah i mean i think it's actually that that observation meshes well with what we're talking about with uh with the isekai as a genre in general is that I feel like the real innovators aren't afraid to remix and it's a it's a it's repeated so often that it's almost just an inane thing to say but Lum from Urusayatsura was is supposed to be one of the first sundere and so of course one of the people who pioneered it is mm. of course she's able to just remix uh what worked about that in yeah, a, in a different character or a different work um but I don't think we see a lot of that that honing happening in isekai i think it's largely other other works taking from uh other authors taking from other works you don't have tomino doing aura battler dunbine and then immediately iterating on that instead you have after an interval of five to six years which is usually in anime the amount of time that someone realizes uh, they can steal the best part of something yeah. else. You have Fush- you have Fushigi Yugi, and you have El Hazard, and you have Escaflone. You have all these things that are basically stealing a march on that. And I don't think it really is until the 2000s, the late 2000s, where you start to get these iterative things. And that's at the same time yeah. that I think mega mega manga and light novel series that never, ever end, and therefore that's the only thing the creator ever works on, come in to kind of, again tamp down the iterative aspects yeah uh, yeah so but i think that's maybe a good point to go straight to log horizon saw that online and because <laughs> like those saw that online certainly in terms of popularity and log horizon as equal as a certainly an equal in terms of um uh influence uh were mm-hmm. were they were the two shows which reacted to the biggest change maybe I'm not sure. Like this is hyperbolical. Like the biggest change in the way we view, um, like other world fiction since, like in most of the history of humanity. Like the creation, the fact that we suddenly have access to other, to essentially other worlds in the form of um, computer games and, in particular, MMOs, is just a absolute sea change. Like the things like world of warcraft comes out in 2004 and it it just grows astronomically uh, it's it never reached it has like incredibly huge numbers but its cultural influence is is massive and by the time it is at its peak in the early 2010s final fantasy 14's out and that's doing a similar thing in uh in japan where it and other things like monster hunter are are suddenly giving people a, a a world they can spend time in where it, it has its own social networks, where they can build their own identities from scratch and redefine themselves. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's 2002 when Final Fantasy XI comes out and 2003 when Lineage comes out. And those are like yeah. two of the big MMOs in the East Asian market. So yeah, it's when suddenly... Playing online isn't a matter of connecting to a server to to 
play a single character in like a party-based RPG or a competitive shooter it's or a competitive fighting game it's you go in there and there are 60 100 people mm. in a given space and that doesn't sound like a lot but mm. it is mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when it's I remember when Battlefield 1942 came out and just the fact that you could have a 64 person server and that's just a billion people and we'd get in a B17 and fly <laughs> fly across the map with half the team standing on the wings uh good times it it did feel like when I compared like the digital world to the spiritual world like you know isekai as video game versus isekai as like reiki monogatari like other worlds otherworldly story which is i think much more what spirited away is mm, tapping yes, into a yeah. very old tradition of fairy tale almost as mm-hmm. opposed to yeah, new certainly. but i do think that there is something spiritual which is suddenly being able to connect to so many fucking human beings on your computer and it mm-hmm. does make you think that an, another world could exist and some people took that in the lane sense of like oh the wired exists as the real world underneath our physical world and some took it as like hey i could go to another world and be reincarnated as little girl hitler and win a bunch of wars uh i someday i will actually watch tanya the evil and stop just crapping all over it but the premise revolts me i was able to get over the the premise of other stuff but this one yeah i don't know i mean but there is like people who just see this as like a as a as a social spiritual experience and then there are people who see it as like oh this is the power fantasy there's no consequences in this world Mm. i can be just like the most powerful dude in the world and it will mean something because we get invested in our video game characters but it won't have any chance of backwash like you were talking about earlier with Mm -hmm. no nothing leaking over into the real world unless you're playing if you die in the game you die for real i mean sort of game obviously that that was the the cringeworthy tagline of uh not not literal tagline but what everyone associates with Sword Art Online, like this this idea that, okay, you, the game has become more, your life is dependent on this game. And what that immediately brings into it is mastery. And mm. what mastery depends on is rules. Now, mastery depends on rules because you you need to be able to do something and get an expected result. And I think mm-hmm. post-2008 crash, the idea that you could go to a world and you'd be rewarded for doing the right thing is a really compelling thing. Like, we're, 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 yes. we're the generation which has... Everyone's been told, okay, you do this thing. You do the right thing. You, you go to university. You you get a job. You, you're, you're, you will be just as richly rewarded as your parents, and no one is. And <laughs> this idea Isekai has that not only can you escape, but you go to a world where you your mastery... And these rules give you this reward guaranteed. And I think that that is an intoxicating thing. And I think that's that is the, the, the magic confluence of things which Isekai rodes to its heights. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And it's funny because it 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 vindicates what your parents believed but not what they say said because they told you that video games are a waste of time and if you just apply yourself hard you'll get you will you know get rewarded and so you're teleported into a world where video games are the opposite of a waste of time they plug you into the rules of reality and if you work hard you'll get rewarded mm. or later on you don't have to work hard the god gives you a cheat weapon yeah. there's so many cheat cheat isekai now and like mm. 
I don't get that. Yeah. I mean, y'all have heard me complain <laughs> at length in in slime about like there's no drama. He's the most he's been the most powerful being in this in this existence for for years now. Like it's not but uh but for some people obviously the idea that like if you were just given like one piece of divine or like fortune uh some sort of help then you can then you would just crack this world wide open and i think that also speaks to our post 2008 reality of if if someone gave me a hundred thousand dollars yeah i could start a company i think anyone could plausibly start a company given infinite money and so if you get like a divine weapon from god that will that will always strike a killing blow like that's the exactly the kind of great power and great responsibility that you know you you want to have Mm. Um, and it gives stakes even though the stakes are usually like, will I use my gift properly and not, will I be able to do the thing I want to do? Yeah. I think I what know. You're, you're talking about, Ben, is definitely uh, something which the Isekai, which are part of the the, the sort of fourth age, things like Overlord, Consuber, mm-hmm. and ReZero really play in. Like Overlord in particular, like it starts out with him be, basically being like a guy who has just sunk his, his life into this MMO. And it's like okay it's being closed down it's being took away from him like this this mmo is being closed down everything he's put in all these friends he's made he's about to lose them he's, he's sitting alone in the sort of guild hall like pondering that all their sort of epic journeys he's in the past and he sort of like thinks oh, i'll just i'll just sit here until the, the service clo- closed down and that's 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 a like at some point that's going to happen with with Warcraft, and if I'm still still playing at that point, I will feel profoundly melancholy. And <laughs> uh, oh, and that that happened with certain forums we're part, uh, we've been part of, and communities that will happen at some point. Yeah. And Overlord starts with that that moment, and then goes from there to okay, maybe if I just rewrite this little bit of of code before I I log off, it doesn't matter really. Nothing's going to come of this. He closes his eyes. Mm-hmm. He wakes up again, and something has come of this. And it, and he's, he suddenly his, his mastery matters more than anything else. Like he is the most powerful built being in this world, and no one else has quite realized that yet. And he's not entirely sure what to do <laughs> with that. And the thing of Overlord is not can he get this power? He's got all the power. It's just what he does with it. That's the only question which yeah. matters in Overlord. What are you going to do with all all this power? And Consumer is at the verge of being in one of the the, the, the final batch of shows, which looks backwards. But I think Consumer plays it more straight than we sometimes give it credit for. He he still ill like it's while it does sort of lampoon itself. It still does give him uh, this this harem of 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 lovely women who all fall well half of them fall in love with him the other the other half he gets to <laughs> he gets to be a lecherous uh, uh pervert and not really punished for yeah i i think that konosuba is specifically it is a subversion but it's a subversion based on the characters and their personalities and outlooks versus a subversion based on the structure of yeah, the world yeah. like you would see with like a my next life as a villainous or something mm-hmm. like he gets the special power. He has a goddess by his side. It's just that he's a pervert and the goddess <laughs> is one of the dumbest people on the planet. <laughs> like just, just a deeply stupid person. And like everyone is like flawed and broken. And it kind of, 
it touches a lot of the same things that work for me with Uncle from Another World, which I started watching, if you couldn't have guessed, listeners, um, and like it. I like it a lot. Uh, we'll talk about it more uh, in the season, the season end, if it all the staff doesn't die from COVID, uh, which I hope they don't. Uh. It's very good. But, uh, but in Uncle from Another World, it's definitely just showing... If someone doesn't know the rules of this, uh, of how an isekai works, it's a very baffling and arbitrary <laughs> and isolating experience. And in Konosuba, you see some precursors of that because it's just people who are too mentally or, or socially flawed to take advantage of, to take full advantage of the opportunities that isekai offer them. It's an internal versus an external um, break on on the way that the plot's supposed to churn forward um but it's important in both of them they still accomplish all all their goals it's not like they're bad at what they do mm. it's just that the power fantasy is broken um because they they lack the the mental furniture to to, to appreciate what they're going through uh Kazuma is is lazy and venial the uncle is wildly oblivious and naive and also way too obsessed with sega to ever recognize the love of another human being <laughs> but yeah it's if this is the way that isekai has to eat itself with the final the final age of shows where, there, where everyone is a subversion everyone's like oh no i got reincarnated as a vending machine i got reincarnated as a, as a hot spring as a spider and i got so reincarnated as a spider <laughs> as a as a slime as the bad guy um in a otome game <laughs> um yeah it it's hard to see where the genre could go from there. Um, and I would not be surprised if someday, someday soon we have a, a quote unquote isekai where like the punchline is we just never see or hear about the other world. And we just work our way back around to fantasy again, <laughs> straight <laughs> fantasy again. Um, Cause I was looking at the article for isekai on Wikipedia and the, um, someone did a, uh, a four part taxonomy and published it in a, an academic journal um, of isekai that are portal-based, isekai that are immersive, isekai that are intrusive, as in the fantastic interest of the real world, and liminal, where they kind of mix together. Um, and immersive is slayers, which I would not consider an isekai, and actually find kind of noxious to imply it is. It's an isekai as in it's different from our world. And I know a word for that, and it's called high fantasy. Uh, so uh, I... But I don't know. You you do what you can to get published. Yeah. Fair enough, Paul Price. Go I mean, go for it. I, mean, uh. I think like the the other thing which unites all all the this, uh, this this current wave of work is is that they are permanently in in this mm -hmm. truck gun has come helding this new world when you are reborn in a world. You're not stranded. You're not visiting. You're reborn. Like there's a hard line between the, the old world and the new world. And as you say, that makes it, in a way, closer to a fantasy world because it has basically made your past life almost irrelevant. And what's become <laughs> the focus of the show is is now just, just this new world. And so mm -hmm. it's now very rare for a show to have consequences and um, reflection on someone's past life. Um, we've talked uh, previously about some episodes of ReZero where that does happen and how those are some of the strongest episodes of that show. And I've watched um, Jobless Reincarnation, which is chronologically, in terms of its source material, part of that 
the that this very first wave of of new shows where it's not the originator of of the the death by truck but it's it's one it was one of the very mm-hmm. first shows and yet it's only finally been uh adapted now and the interesting thing what the the fact that this work has took so long to adapt kind of actually makes it feel weirdly fresh because there are you have a character who um does have to deal with the way he felt about himself in this previous world where at after a, a big event he finds himself um sort of unconscious and uh his mental image of himself is not his new body it's his old body he imagine and that's that's mm-hmm. a that's a big step like the 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 sort of one transgression especially in uh, isekai where someone is transformed is you never sort of get any idea of how they looked and for him to mm-hmm. be unconscious and for his mental image of himself to still be his old self is a really interesting thing considering how uh, divorced from that most modern isekai have become yeah although it, it is interesting how how anime loves the car accident in general <laughs> as as the way i i wish i wish listeners uh, that I had been able to watch Ara Battler Dunbine um, before then, because before this recording, because I, I think it's probably a pretty important uh, work. Um, but I, I had just finished eating my vegetables with Ray Earth, and I just I didn't have it in me. Um, but I, I was surprised to find out when skimming the plot synopsis um, that this first isekai anime um, involves the hero dying in a uh, in a motorcycle crash okay. and getting reborn reborn so in 83 we already had i mean we had we had motorcycle coon instead of truck coon <laughs> but like yeah it's the the thing that that uh the jobless isekai seems to do is is have the death be be the pretext for the separation of the worlds um because it seems like before then it was much more expected uh that the two worlds would still be linked um that it was you know Again, the Urashima Taro thing of going to the palace under the sea and then coming back up to the real world where time has passed differently mm. and so on. But then you see, but after Dunbina, you have a bunch of shows where no one dies and they are transported bodily to the other world as opposed to their soul going there. And I wonder, I wonder how common that distinction is before it begins to be explored in anime and manga. But that, again, sounds like a great dissertation for someone else to write. <laughs> Yeah, 50 years from now. I mean, you've got to think of things like, obviously, Alice in Wonderland, where, yeah. where the other world is a dream world. And um, it's rare how we ha- never have any worlds where there's any any doubt that this might be a dream. Like, this might be, oh, I, I've been mm. in a car crash and I'm imagining all this. Like, that's there's never any doubt. It's, it's no Obviously, I, 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 when I was stabbed in or hit by truck gun, I definitely died. This isn't just my yeah. uh, my brain's fevered last moments. Um, no, there's no there's no occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge fakeouts uh, a lot of the time, <laughs> which is <laughs> that infamous story if you don't know it about where a guy escapes a hanging and then he at the very end after a long series of events it's his dying it's his dying hallucination as he as he is hung. Um, yeah. That's back in 1890. I think, but then again, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court is also kind of isekai, too. Yeah, as well as time travel. It's your time travel isekai, I guess. <laughs> um, 
And yeah. I mean, like the, that sort of idea is explored uh, by in mind games, um, where you have this mm. this moment where the character is possibly killed, and everything that follows might just be his his final moments flashing before his eyes, like Enter the Void style. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think we've we've ended up at a moment where I think I think the thing is with any genre is that they are things which exist within a, a general culture. At some point, Isekai will fade, and sudden, then it'll be gone for a decade or longer, and suddenly it'll come back again, and it'll seem fresh again. And yeah, it's just back. <laughs> as dominant as it feels now, it will burn itself out. You yeah. hope. You pray. I mean, I mean there's, no, there's no, like, dominant trope that uh, that survives forever and the fact that businesses are making efforts to like limit the number of isekai submissions and to put forward like isekai subversions tells me that at least financially speaking uh there is a limit to the usefulness of it i don't know what's what paradigm is going to replace them um I hope it's something yeah. good. I mean, but, uh, with people it, like uh, Me- Meta trying to push the idea of the metaverse and etc., like Isekai is due is well overdue its uh, dystopian uh, phase. I feel <laughs> trapped in another world rather than happy to be there. Or, or maybe, or maybe, like who knows? Again, we can't know what is going to be historically important and culturally important. Mm. But it'd be very cool if, like isekai where you're trying to get back come back in fashion because like that's the, one of the things i loved in uh escaflone and appreciated in ray earth and hated in 12 kingdoms is just like so much of the character's mental energy is spent on like i don't belong here i have to survive this fucked up strange world and get back to my own world where my life is waiting for me and it does have a kind of christmas carol like appreciate the gifts you have because otherwise you could live in a world with dragons and that did not turn out to be the threat uh, we thought it did but surely there's a way to rewrite this if it's like a a zombie apocalypse or a or like an undead lord conquering the world and just like the idea that maybe maybe going back home is <laughs> is the answer mm. uh, maybe after this coming recession that'll that'll really that'll really get in we'll be done with power fantasies and we'll be back to like should go home and call your mom I mean, we already had Evis tell us that. So, is that it? Are I we think done? that might be. That might, I mean, we might be done. The world might be done. Isekai might be done. Yeah. Who, who knows what's done? And Ben, so many fond dreams to to embrace here. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I'm sure we'll be coming back to this because either Isekai will be around in a couple of years or it won't. It'll have changed to something weird that we can do a topic on. But in the meantime. Do you want to uh, take a break and then we'll come back and I'll tell you about a story I'm watching that does take place in another world, but it exists in the same world as Earth or a man home, as they call <laughs> it, because I'm watching Aria. Okay, let's talk about Aria cool. in a bit. back like i said i'm watching aria i used to ignore aria when right stuff rest in peace now that it's been acquired by acquired by crunchyroll uh 
did the Kickstarter for the Blu-ray version of it, I was like, this show looks really boring. It's just a bunch of girls in sailor uniforms in like, looks like Italy or Venice. And that's kind of what it is. But <laughs> it's a healing anime by the guy who created Tamayura, which I liked a lot. That's a healing anime about a girl who likes to take pictures and her friends who are also there. Um, and that's kind of the vibe here. It is a show about a young girl named Akari who is training to become a undin, which is the term for a gondolier, um, on the planet of Mars in the far distant future, where it has been terraformed and is now called Aqua, and people from Manhome, formerly Earth, come to live an idyllic pre-industrial life there it's kind of presented as the path forward for humanity and they have a lot of world building about how how such a world would operate which has been a kind of nice parallel to akari meeting other trainee undines building strong friendships with them learning about the people her mentor used to train with meeting people who need transportation across the city of neo venezia um yeah it it is caveat it's very boring um <laughs> it's very boring in like a pleasant nice way where they like i don't know they all go out and practice and everyone learns that they have a different specialty and that she kind of has a think at the end akari does about how nice it is that everyone's different and that we can all learn together and each of our specialties can bring us up it's never that cloying as i made it sound there's a lot of good slapstick that occasionally appears. And even in the first episode, there's a girl who's like, you can take, give me on a ride. Even if I don't have money because I'm your friend. And she's like, no, you're not my friend. And she's like, or you could be my kidnapper. And she's like, uh, and the little girl's like, see, we're friends. <laughs> it just, it's uh, it's got an edge to it that I, I guess belies the like softness of it. It feels like a show from much earlier than 2005. Although the ubiquity of cats so many cats um the cats are each presidents of their own um gondola club uh not gondola so they're, 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 gondola. They're, they're, they're like mascots but presidents yeah well because it's because like the 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 companies aria company which is what the show's named after and himamia company and orange planet company are all these just kind of like very, again, sort of pre-modern medieval craft organizations where everyone works together and progresses through these training where your, your dress changes based on what, um, on what level of training you're at. And they have to learn how to sing. They have to learn how to give tours. They have to learn how to row without rocking the boat. They have to learn when the city floods, um, which it does occasionally. They have to learn how to like navigate new routes because some bridges become unpassable it's cool. it's nice i i like all of the characters they have a pretty strong trio of uh of akari who is the the pleasant cheerful slightly adits there is aika who is my favorite type of character the proud idiot um she's great she's voiced by chiwa sato um of senjo gahara fame this is one of her first roles and she is she is great as just like the dumbass who answers everything confidently. And it's probably among the most talented of them. I mean, not as talented as uh, Alice, who is a, a prodigy who was recruited out of Manhome junior high to come over and become a, uh, a gondolier. She's like covered on Undine monthly or whatever it's called. It's something in Italian. Cause everything here is Italian. Um, except the characters all have names beginning with a. So yeah. 
Akari, Aika, and Alice, and their uh, superiors, uh, Alicia, Akira, and Athena. Oh, wow, yeah. I'm um, looking at the cast list now, and they really commit to that. <laughs> and Akari is communicating with a girl she meets in the first episode. I think it is the girl who threatens her, and then they actually become friends at the end of the episode, uh, whose name is Ai. And there's also, there's also Anna and Azusa and Atora and Anzu and Anya and the cat Arya, obviously, of the... <laughs> yeah, it's just... It's very goofy. And it is, it is interesting to be watching a show that's just like, what if a slice of life show take, took place in Venice among all the different gondoliers coexisting with like, this is the far distant future when we see Akari fly uh, to Aqua, that is Mars at the beginning of the first episode, she's just in a chair in an invisible spaceship where she gets to like see the landing. It's like the level of technology is ridiculous here. And there are salamanders who control the, the air machines and there are sylphs who deliver messages on these like floating motorbikes. And there are gnomes who live underground and control like the gravity and tectonic processes. So it's like, obviously this very detailed setting and they ration out some stuff, including a very out of place time travel episode in the, uh, the penultimate episode of the first season where she goes back in time and sees like the first coming of water on aqua um but yeah i enjoyed it a lot i'm not going to go straight into the second season not just because it's 24 episodes instead (laughs) of 13 um it's because this show suffers a little bit from being binged it is definitely uh a show that you put on when you just want to have a nice time for like 22 minutes you just want to like people confront some small emotional challenges and get over them and they're just nice to each other and there are cute situations like Alice, the genius, um, deciding to punish her left hand for not being as good as her right hand. And at the by the end of the episode, she realizes she's like, oh, left hand's been supporting me in so many ways. And it's like flashes of her like holding a book while oh, she dear. turns the page with her right hand. It's, it's funny. And I sent a gif of the of the slapstick that happens in the show. With that was the, good uh, slapstick. Her mentors, yes. her mentors, a clumsy one. And so like there's just like a super cut of her just eating shit by hitting her head on bridges that she forgets to duck under. Uh, it's very good, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know why this was such a popular show that like it had a hugely successful Kickstarter to get it on Blu-ray. It has an eight on, um, on the rating site that mm. I use and that's about what I rated it. Yeah. It's, it's an eight. It's, it's a nice time. I don't think it's as like beautifully sad as, uh, Yokohama quiet country cafe, but I yeah. think it's also a very optimistic show where we're like give us a new canvas for humanity to paint on and we will fix each other. We will fix each other and ourselves and the way we live. And I kind of needed that. So I'm glad I watched it, but I can see I wonder, why you would find it boring. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I part, all that you say makes me wonder, like, did I have good reason to bounce off it? Like I did many a year ago. Like I, I love uh, Yokohama, uh, quite country cafe. Like it is one of my, my favorite shows in terms of, like pure mood mood pure mood uh-huh. it is absolutely just this melancholy work where civilization is is just finished and everyone's just quietly seeing out the end of humanity and maybe that <laughs> over that that sort of pessimistic but at the same time, time melancholic uh, thing is what resonated with a, 
a slightly edgy younger Duncan and maybe <laughs> cute girls in Neo Venice where all wounds are healed in a happy future was a Everyone's bit got too a cool cat. <laughs> yeah. Was maybe just a, a step too far for where I was then in terms of my media consumption. It's hard to know. I I mean I mentioned at the in the first half about rewatching Twelve Kingdoms, and I will always, especially with the beautiful new Blu-ray from Eastern Star slash Discotech, I would always love to come back and be like, "This is amazing." Yoko still annoys the shit out of me, but there are other shows I come back to, and I'm like, "Oh, this is really good," or "Oh, this is not as good as I thought." And I think that Arya could be that. I think there is darkness. Whenever people talk about Manhome, it's always like, "Oh, cool, you can like see the sky here." Um, you can't see the sky in Manhome or like, oh, it's so neat that like you guys can just drink the water. You can't drink the water in Manhome or like it's weird to see growing things. You don't usually see a, like a big field of growing things in Manhome. And it's just like the earth sounds pretty bad. But here we're in like <laughs> here we're in a world where there's no cars. There's very little technology besides the technology used to like uphold the basic aspects of society. And while there are lots of tourists, there are also just people who just run pastry shops in in uh in future venice and i don't know i there's so much more to watch there's uh two more series and ova and then three movies that have just come out recently over the past few years and i'm happy that there's going to be more i wonder how they're going to develop it because it's just this first season just introducing characters building relationships slight flashbacks to like know about their mentors who used to be friends and to see like the different configurations socially that arise um it will be nice to watch akari hopefully grow into someone who's not a a a naive cheerful idiot um i hope aika never grows i hope that she's (laughs) she's as dumb as she is until the day she dies uh because she's perfect i don't need her to change uh but that's the fact with any chiwasato character anyway i do think you'd like it but you do have to like it has to be the thing you watch that you're in the mood for, because if you want anything to happen, <laughs> Arya will not pay off for you. Um, if you are tired of watching shows where, where, ha- where stuff happens, uh, like I watched the For All Mankind finale with my girlfriend last weekend, and she was like, that was a good finale, but too much was happening. And I'm <laughs> like, well, I have plenty of media in my life where that is not a problem. <laughs> so I was happy to have a show where like lots of stuff happens. Do you feel it needs any sort of um, uh, any anime literacy? What is it? Something which uh, plays on tropes, or is it pretty much standalone? I mean, I think the anime literacy that you need is just general, like anime and manga symbology literacy. There are there are character archetypes that I don't think it would be incomprehensible if you didn't pick them up right away, but. They do slot pretty pretty cleanly into like there's the Ara 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 girl like Alicia Akari's mentor has like she's blonde she has like her eyes are always like squinted closed and a smile and ninety percent of what she says is Ara Ara she's like oh my oh my oh my oh um, dear so so yeah there's that and there's also just like some of the ways that like emotions are communicated like the the stress thing or the teardrop for sweat. Um, or just the pratfalls that uh, Japanese comedy like really relies on and that may look extreme or kind of weird if you aren't used to the way that the Japanese like their slapstick. But overall, I think it's a pretty digestible series. And I think the hardest thing that people will, will have, the hardest time that people will have getting around it is just like 
shows where nothing happens. But that's becoming a thing now. Among the animation bloodbath from HBO Max, uh, just a few days ago, were plenty of shows where nothing happens, like Summer Camp Island. And even though that is an atrocity of art, that that Summer Camp Island is no longer watchable anymore, I, it does encourage me that like Western media is getting like there's cozy shows that like nothing happens. You just watch the characters interact. They confront small, easily defeatable situations, and we just see the proof of themselves in how they confront those situations. What I liked about Tamiura, but uh, Tamiura is unfortunately just about photography, which I found a lot less relatable than future Space Venice or post-apocalyptic Android Cafe. Mm. So <laughs> It does feel like we had a mini resurgence of that with laid-back camp and then mm-hmm. kind of came to nothing like those. I think we watched a couple of like similar mood shows and then... They did, none of them really took off. There was the board game one. I think there's a, there's a DIY one this season, which I... Oh, is w- there? Yeah. So there's a show this season called uh, uh, Do It Yourself, which is similarly looks to hmm. be a... Um, uh, g- girls just hanging about, chilling, doing a DIY project. And the reason it caught my attention was that it has a, a director... Um, uh, Kazuhiro uh, Yonada, who uh, did uh, Kageki Shoujo uh, as his his previous work, and oh really? Since I th- I think you sh- you joined me in being incredibly impressed with with that. Like he hadn't necessarily done any out outstanding works before that, but Kageki Shoujo was just so sure footed that it made me interested in what the person who helmed it would do next. And it's got kind I, of interest. I, I agree completely. And it's got kind of interesting character designs. They're not, not quite um, like there's this the, the this how can I put it? There's sort of the no effort mode design, which is like a very um, uh, smoothly done like what I'd, I'd even something like a laid back camp. I'd, I'd say uh, falls into that. Whereas this has, um, oh yeah, uh, the art is interesting. In some like there's a um, a, a series of um, uh, AMVs and animated music videos, um, which me and Andy are a big uh, fan of, um, uh, by a sort of collective called uh, Zutamayo, and one of the mm-hmm. uh, artists who does it, who does those, uh, it reminds me a bit of some of her work, but uh, more pastoral and less uh, sort of uh, synthwave. Um, but yeah, it's it's got an interesting uh, design to its uh, characters, and um, you've got a very uh, a director who did something unexpectedly good, and so it's been one of those things. Where, like if I can find time to watch it, I'll give it a go because it's like yeah, next week is good. next next week next season's going to kill us. Oh my god, there's so much yeah. stuff to watch that I that I can't talk myself out of. Mm. <sighs> including Urusei Atsura. Oh yeah. Mm. But yeah, the, the, before we get get completely sidetracked here, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that, 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 <laughs> that, uh, that genre of just relaxing, chill-out shows did, did seem to peak during the pandemic for obvious reasons and does yeah. seem to have fallen off as we hopefully exit the pandemic. Hint, Uncle from Another <laughs> World being cancelled maybe suggests that we qu- aren't having quite as smooth an exit as you'd imagine, but... <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I agree, but 
other people with more power than us have made the choice and so i'm going to continue to stay inside and watch <laughs> stuff like aria um it's going to be interesting because i knew do you know from the from the synopses that like the the show or the the animated uh installments have basically covered her entire career from a oh, wow. from a from yeah she goes from a a pair, which is where you were two gloves, and then you're training with one glove, a single, and then you're a, a prima who has, uh, and then there's like a, a special elite tier that I eventually get to. And so you're going to watch this character like ascend in her career to the highest parts of uh, society, but it's in a setting where like financial and personal ambition don't really have a place. So it's just. I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm wondering if the characters will grow or if this is just going to be sort of a thing where like I'll watch one episode a week and it'll be nice. It can replace what the original Urusei Yatsura was supposed to be for me, which is a, a falling asleep anime. But um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm excited to see more, but just not now. I got to get my backlog cleared before again next season comes. Yeah. Or so, in my sleep. so is the, is there any personal conflict or is it is it mostly just quiet growth and? There's some there's some interpersonal conflict. There's they squabble with each other a little bit, especially okay. um, the uh, Alice is is uh, very rigid and perfectionist. She kind of feels a little bit on the spectrum, although like who knows with anime yeah. and also any fiction. And then Ika is is proud and boastful and often has to be slapped down. But it's usually usually confusion comes from not listening to or not understanding the other person. Um, there's very little conflict that comes from irreconcilable differences it's almost always just that you haven't sat down and talked to this person and made an effort to know what they're feeling uh, that may change uh i imagine that if that if one season is going to be the softest and least confrontational it's going to be the first season when they're all trainees under bosses who tell them what to do um but yeah it is it definitely is a healing anime in that like the conflicts are about about resolving shortfalls in in empathy or in understanding. Uh, ben, what was the show we watched about aquariums? Which name I've temporarily forgot. Uh, Aquatope on the white sand. Yes. Or okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, like you t- talking about how people starting out in a, a workplace and sort of finding their way immediately makes me think of Aquatope and like how that went from something which was like, we're chilling out in the aquarium to, oh God, the aquarium's closing. <laughs> now, I, I assume that, that the uh, Venice isn't going to suddenly, uh, uh, Mar- Mars Venice isn't suddenly going to have its lagoon polluted and uh, the uh, the buildings aren't all going to start subsiding into the, 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 the water. But... Um, do you, th- you think that there might be a possibility for a sort of interpersonal conflict as they start to rise and like only so many people can and become a, a master or whatever? So that, that you'd assume I, I would I, I would be surprised at uh, at that because I, I do think that it it is sort of just like everyone rising naturally, everyone growing into their best and that there is no. It's not. It definitely doesn't posit a world where there are zero sum propositions like the ones that you just assume would have to exist. I think it's part of the how the show conceives its way forward, how it conceives like a better picture of humanity. Um, that, Rising tide lifting yeah, all gondolas. Yeah, like people people age out, um, and 
and other people move into their positions and everyone just kind of just kind of grows i guess that's slowly. one question one question i had is <laughs> is like oh obviously this is set fairly far future how does it what's the what's the sort of time scale do they have like normal normal human uh lifespans is it is it like was it slower it, it seems to be it seems to be although they do do a good job of um every every season is twice as long because mars has a has a an orbit of 668 days okay that's that's a nice detail people come and they're like oh yeah it's like oh well each season's twice as long and one of the episodes is akari being like oh i don't know if i can handle a double length winter Mm. and then at the end of the episode she's like oh i love winter and i can't wait for it to be here for for six months yeah that's that's Um, that's 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 really interesting to hear because like um YKK shares with uh, Evangelion this sort of forever summer, like cicadas mm-hmm. chirping and just uh, the sort of this last w- warmth of humanity before the inevitable autumn and winter come to mm-hmm. drag us into long night. And this, the fact that like you'll get. I I'll be interested to 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 know what winter on a uh, uh, entirely ocean uh, planet is like. Um, it, like uh, lots of snow is what is what is what it is. Does it freeze and at there's all? A dealing with, like is the ice? Um, I imagine that it's because it's salt water because it's a it's a lagoon. I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's mostly. I would say that the the uh, the first season at least, which again is all I've watched, and. We, mm. But I do think that it, it, it is a show that is does one of my favorite touches where one core is the whole year. And so we have like we start out um, in spring and we end the very last episode is the new year where all the characters we've met just come and hang out. And there's actually a hilarious bit where the girl that she's been pen palling with, I, who Akari has been writing to, goes through and just like to everyone's face says the gossip that Akari has been, been saying about them. Like she meets Akira and she's like, Oh, you're the demon instructor who talks like a man. And Akari is like, what did you say? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it, that's the kind of conflict you have. It's like light interpersonal conflict again about communication and about not understanding people, but it's very cute to see them go from spring to summer. And each time the seasons change, one of the characters has an anxiety about like, is this the end? And there's, one of the final episodes of the first season, there's even this like, this is the happiest part of my life and I'm actually afraid of it moving on. Mm. Um, there's this, there's this fear of, of loss of that, you know, we grow old and things change and there's a very nice motto, uh, not motto. There's a very nice lesson at the end about how like, yeah, but if you spend the whole time being afraid of how something will end someday, it's already ended for you and therefore you have to just kind of embrace things and embrace that you are having a good time now. And I think the line that they use, which I feel like is kind of the line for how you're supposed to engage with the show is that like the best part about having fun is knowing that you're having fun. And so just like (laughs) focusing on that as your higher level perception of something. And that's kind of like the, the best thing about watching Arya is that just like knowing that you're having a nice time and that there's not going to be any sudden conflict or destruction that we're not you're not participating in a doomed fantasy world that has an ending um there's no ending there's just growth Mm. Uh, i mean there is actually an ending but like the idea (laughs) that 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 uh yeah that that we just gonna have a bit more sociological storytelling of watching characters grow into themselves without 
the fear of failure. It's a power fantasy of a different sort that we talked about uh, with Isekai. It's just you get to have a happy, peaceful life, which appeals to me still, mm. especially having just passed my birthday last week. Yep. <laughs> really happy to be just like, oh, just, you know, be nice to your friends, live a good life, do what you think is just or at least kind. And yeah. Yeah, I think maybe you've sold me on it on on just this idea of someone just following someone through through their life, uh, just their yeah. journey of their professional life, and this that being the the beat. And it's important that she she's an immigrant, and so we start as she's just arrived like six months ago, yeah. uh, and she's just taken up this apprentice program, and so it really is kind of a new life that starts with this immigration, and I think that kind of gives it almost an isekai feel to, i'm always trying to connect it back to the topic but the idea that she's left this life on man home behind and she's a new person now who gets to train to be a, a professional gondolier in a, in a beautiful post-industrial utopia uh where the biggest thing you have to worry about is that it floods twice a year at like the ah uh, there's a space term for like the closest point to the sun um, that causes the high tides and like when that happens, they're like, yeah, it's going to last a week. No one can work. So um, it's time for you to like have a week vacation. Mm-hmm. And the conflict of that episode is like, oh, no, I don't know what to do with myself for a week. Uh, so <laughs> if you find that a relatable problem, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you do. <laughs> OK, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. Tune in next week. We will be talking about Tatami Galaxy and possibly... Uh, the Night of Short Walk On Girl, which I know we've talked about before in honor of the new show coming out. And we'll be doing wrap up for this season. There's a lot of shows that we watched, even me. I jumped on to three more after complaining about only watching bad shit uh, for the episode. So, yeah. Remember, rate and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Twitter at KeyframesPod. Make Andy tweet more memes. Find us on Facebook keyframes podcast. Just search for it. I will post that hilarious gif of Athena eating shit. <laughs> by hitting a bridge <laughs> that she's passing under uh email us questions keyframespodcast at gmail.com tell us well, how did you feel about tatami galaxy how did you feel about our discussion of isekai we'd love to hear from you and most of all tell a friend but not any friend ben <laughs> T- tell your good friend Trutkan, because Trutkan <laughs> loves everyone equally and he uh, does he may bring you his blessing when you're least <laughs> expecting it I'm going to go for something happier. Uh, tell them your friend who also is an apprentice in your, in, your, in your beautiful, idyllic future society. Tell them to hear a podcast about uh, two guys just talking about rebirth, but not in a spiritual way. And maybe that apprentice will, will tell you, oh, yeah, I was introduced to you, to you by Trotkin. <laughs> and they go, oh, Trotkin, uh, I remember no automobiles on No automobiles on Aqua, Duncan. It's impossible. You can be safe from Trotkin on Mars. <laughs> Gondolacon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, say goodbye. Good goodbye. times. <laughs> <laughs>